Blog Talk Radio. And I Live. Help for HD Live is brought to you by Help for HD International and is made possible by our sponsors, Teva Pharmaceuticals and the Griffin Foundation. I am your host, Katie Jackson, and today our guest is Dr. Marco Heppi. Dr. Heppi is the assistant professor of pathology at the University of Iowa and directs the Iowa Brain Bank. He received his pathology, I'm, I'm going to probably say this university wrong, he received um, his assistant professor of pathology, at, I'm sorry, at the he received his MD from the Mount Sinai School of Medicine in New York City and did his pathology training at Harvard Medical School in Boston. Uh, we are really excited to, have, excited to have him on the show. We were able to meet him in Iowa a couple weeks ago, and he works closely with Dr. Peg Napolis, who we all love and does so much for our community. So um, University of Iowa is really something as far as resources for JHD and HD, and now with having um, uh, now the brain bank, it just brings another um, another level of, uh, of, of help to be able to advance research uh, with Huntington's disease. So I am going to bring Dr. Hefe on the show. Before, I want to apologize for the background noise. I'm in California, so we have horrible air conditions here. So I have, we have lots of uh, air filtrations going. So if you guys can hear those, I am sorry, but we will try to, uh, try to talk over them. So welcome to the show, Dr. Hefe. Thank you for so much Thank for you. coming on with us today. Well, Thank yeah, you for having and me. Let's start, yeah. Uh, let's start by talking because I know this is a, a kind of a subject that people don't really understand why it's important or actually what it is. So can you start by telling us why um, it is important to do brain donations for especially a disease like Huntington's disease? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so it's important because um, even though we have um, animal models of Huntington's disease, so there are genetically engineered uh, mice, for example, that that have some of the um, aspects of the disease, ultimately to understand what causes the, the loss of neurons, what causes the, the, the handicaps from, from Huntington's disease, we have to look at, at, hum, at, at human brain tissue. We have to be able to understand what happens on a cell and a molecular level in human tissue. And that's something we can only really do with with human brain tissue. And a lot of research is, is very much dependent on that. And there, there's more and more we can do with that every year. So um, there's, there's new tests, there's new stains, there's new assays. It's now possible in some cases even to get um, to, um, to create uh, cells that have a similar behavior pattern to a specific patient's brain that can then be used for other assays down the road. So there's a lot of research that depends on the, on being, on the availability of human tissue and on the availability specifically mm-hmm. of human tissue that's, that's been well-characterized, well-studied 
um, for for research and ultimately to be able to 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 get to the point where we have effective therapies for this disease. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and I know Dr. Um, Pagnopoulos has a lot of information and something for her studies that have been going for so long. Um, even the mm-hmm. you know HD kids studies, and they have that yep. huge clinic. Yeah. So, how mm-hmm. do you guys work closely together? Yes, we do. Um, actually, I uh, she's one of the reasons uh, that I decided to come here to the University of Iowa when I was first recruited, um, and I've been working with her pretty much since I started. Um, we're we're hope we're one of the things we're trying to do is we're we're all interested in you know working with families regardless of whether or not they're involved in in uh, Dr. Napolis's studies but we're particularly trying to reach out to families who are involved in her studies because then what we're able to do is we're able to correlate the the findings from uh from the 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 brain tissue with all the data she's collected all the imaging data all the other data that she's collected which makes that those donations even more valuable for for our research and also for research at other institutions, because we have a lot more information that we can correlate with what we find. Sure, and I think that I think it's so interesting because so many people, even with these observational studies, they always think you know if there's not an intervention, why is it important? Well, I think a lot of people don't understand we wouldn't have intervention clinical st- trials if it wasn't for these studies, if it wasn't for people being brave enough to do brain donations, um, these help right. advance yeah. the science. Exactly. Yeah, we, yeah. Need, it, we need to do this. Yeah, yeah and it, it, it enables, because understanding the, the mechanisms, I mean, the the sort of basic genetics of Huntington's disease are obviously un, is understood, but understanding the mechanisms by which that translates mm-hmm. into the disease we see is is critically important to to having effective therapies and a lot of the therapies that are now coming that are now in trials were developed using at least in part studies of of human tissue in order to to know that to understand the mechanism and to come to the conclusion that this might actually work before trying it um obviously yeah, and I, I find it like so interesting how much we still like you were saying it's that we we know they think they know so much about HD, but as these studies and these these things evolve, they find all this other stuff. Um, mm-hmm. It's I, it's always interesting to me to be sitting in these meetings when they find about chromosome eight is offend, uh, affected, and people are like wait what? And you know these new findings that are going to really help. What does that mean? Well, it makes, means that science is going to start to evolve and, evolve and we're going to, it's going to help get better therapies, if not maybe even go in a direction that scientists never thought of before. Yeah. So, and I mean, a lot of the, um, so, sorry. No, go ahead. Some of the data, some of the data that Dr. Napolis' group has come up with, uh, with the role of the cerebellum, I mean, that's something that was mm-hmm. not expected and we still you know we have good imaging data suggesting that showing that that's the case but we don't understand what the mechanism for that is on the cell on a on a cellular level so you know we can say the cerebellum is larger but without actually being able to to look at the actual tissue we don't know why or what the mechanism is and you know we can't take mm-hmm. advantage potentially take advantage of that finding to to improve treatment unless we understand how it works and what triggers it right yeah. Let's talk a little bit about privacy and confidentiality because I know this is things that come up in the community. So, 
So we um, so the first thing to say there is that um, when we share tissue with, with with other investigators within the University of Iowa or at other institutions, and that's one of the things that we try to do. That one of the purposes of doing this is not just for the research we do here, but also to be able to further research elsewhere at other institutions, because there are a lot of people mm-hmm. doing Huntington's research across the country and even across the world. The thing to be said, though, is that when we share tissue, we never we never give out identifying information. So if one of our collaborators mm-hmm. needs a particular area of tissue, and they we re, the the requests are reviewed by me and then one other person, which is Dr. Napolis or Dr. Gutman or somebody else in in, in neurology. If the, if we deem that the request is appropriate, it's coming from a legitimate researcher and so forth. What we will tell them is we will mm-hmm. tell them age. We will tell them repeat number. You know, if they need to know, we may we can give them some limited information on the pathology, how severe the pathology was. But we will never release anything that would allow them to identify the patient. So the only people who know, who have access to the identifying information, is uh, me. And um, the there's one other there's a technician who helps me with the brain bank, who in theory would have access to that. And then, uh, if it's one of her patients in her study, Dr. Napolis. But we don't. We're very, very careful about our pay, about the privacy of donors and their families. We never release that information, and the information we have here is kept on servers that are uh, that are secured by the our hospital's IT department. So their their mm-hmm. security is the same as that used for medical records for living patients, and uh, and we're extremely cautious about that. So even the pa- even paper records, if we have them. Are kept in a locked filing cabinet um, in my uh, uh, my technician's office, and that's behind a second set of locked doors. So we're very very careful about the privacy and confidentiality of patients. Yeah, and it's so interesting. I have I was talking to a um, a family that I'm I'm friends with. I'm very close to, and they they donated their loved one's um, brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe it was to Harvard because um, mm-hmm. Harvard has a uh, yeah, so that's that's where it was years ago, mm-hmm. and they actually were, you know, some people may donate their brain, their loved one's brain, to science to help advance science, and they want to know nothing. They want to know. Mm-hmm. They want to, you know, they've done their 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 part mm-hmm. in helping science, and but then this family is very interesting because they wanted to know if anything had come of it. Had science, you know, had had it was the brain, um, their loved one's brain, be able to help science and evolve science? I mm-hmm. found that so interesting that they really were wondering kind of what mm-hmm. happened from there. Do you mm-hmm. do you have families that ask that? Like, can we know if, if, if our if our tissue is a part of a research study or um do you have people that have ever asked that before? Honestly I haven't had anybody ask that specifically. Um it and sometimes mm-hmm. those questions are actually very hard to answer, not because we don't want sure. to answer. I mean we obviously would love to be able to tell people exactly what you know what benefit came from a particular donation the reason it makes it gets a little difficult is because um two reasons one is that often these projects involve multiple uh specimens so you, to draw conclusions you you may need uh you may need portions of tissues from multiple patients and so it's mm-hmm. difficult to say whether a particular conclusion was drawn from a particular patient the other reason mm-hmm. is that there's also some um concern there's also 
the investigators who ask us for tissue we don't always we don't necessarily want to make publicly available the information as to who asked for what because sometimes sure, they they may have their own reasons for example in in rare cases they may be trying a new technique that they don't want to necessarily release publicly until they're ready to publish it and in general it's not sure, an issue but just for the sake of simplicity um if if a particular family does want to know you know has the tissue been used uh, that I mean, we can certainly tell them we keep extremely careful records, and it, it just it hasn't happened so far to us. Um, that said, um, we have had families who who want so every case that we get, um, we do we issue an autopsy report on the brain that sort of that sort of confirms the diagnosis, says what we found, whether we found anything else um, in the brain besides oh, okay. the, the expected diagnosis. And some families okay. ask for that. Uh, some families say they absolutely don't want it, uh, which is fine too. Sure. And some families want it sent to their loved one's doctor instead of them, and we we accommodate that also. So that's sort of I've seen a lot of different wishes regarding that. Some people want to look at it themselves. Okay. Some would rather talk to, talk about it with a physician they trust. And some people are just, as you said, they they see them the, they've done their part and they don't want to have further sort of they don't want to. Mm-hmm. Sort of be reminded of it, so to speak. So, and we accommodate the sure. wishes of families, regardless of what they ask for. Sure. And and I have a question: if this, if we have, if they're, do they have to be diagnosed positive with HD? Uh, we do have people that sometimes pass away for reasons that are at risk. So, let's say the person is at risk and they pass away for some reason. Could the family still donate an at risk? Yes. Yes. So okay. we for. For Huntington's disease, we're interested in patients who either have confirmed Huntington's disease or are at risk for Huntington's disease. And okay. that, that can be juvenile or adult onset in either case. And yet, So the answer sure. is yes. Anybody at risk, we, we are interested and they would be eligible to donate. Okay. And then who do people contact as far as getting more information about mm-hmm. brain donation? So that that's actually me. Um, the the easiest way to do that is we actually do have a website. Thanks to uh, the uh, uh, Sonia Slavinsky and uh, and uh, mm-hmm. Alex in uh, in Dr. Napolis's group who put together a very nice website for us. So the easiest way to find that is just to Google Iowa Brain Bank. It's the website is iowabrainbank.lab.uiowa.edu. But if you Google it, it pops okay. right up. And people okay. can also just Google me. I mean, I'm relatively easy to find. And all the contact information is there. There's a link, How to Donate. And if you click on that, it gives my email, which is the easiest way to get a hold of me and my office number. And I'm usually in my office. If I'm not, I answer. Uh, somebody leaves a message, I answer within usually a couple of hours. So, yeah. um, But that's, okay. how, that's the way to sort of start the process uh, is to just contact me either by email or by telephone. And let's talk about that process. When should this process start? So we obviously understand that this is sort of a very traumatic thing and and something that, you know, families have a a million other things on their minds. So we we try our best to make this as easy and as as painless for families as possible. Um, The sooner um, families start the process, the better, because... Um, it gives us more time to make sure everything is set up. So for families who live 
sort of the general in our general area here in Iowa, it's a little bit more straightforward. Um, but for uh, we we accept donations from anywhere in the U.S. And for families that live further away, what we do is we arrange for a local pathologist to to help us with the donation when the time comes. And that takes a little usually takes a few days to set up um, because we have to sort of reach out to our colleagues at local hospitals or local uh, local um, pathologists. Um, so if we have a little bit of time, that's that makes that much simpler. Um, so ideally, you know, before the, the the earlier on people think about it and you know reach out to us, the uh, the easier the process is and the more likely that we'll be able to make the donation happen um, without any hiccups. Right. Um, so it's right. it's something that we'd suggest people think about when, whenever they feel they're at the point when they can they feel comfortable having that conversation. Yeah, and I think it's so I think it's so interesting. My husband now I would I would have really never known how to talk about this, but now with my husband on hospice, and I'm having to talk to um, funeral homes, and I'm having to do this this horrible thing and, and um, saying goodbye to my husband and trying to make arrangements mm-hmm. while he's still here. And, um, yeah. and that's what happens when you get on hospice. They start talking to you about these things. And yeah. it's been the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And I'm trying to do it with a clear head um, and make sure I, I get everything done the right way to his wishes. But also my husband has always been such a huge advocate for science. He was in seven clinical trials and wow. studies. He wanted to be part of the change. He wanted to be part of the difference for our children and for and for the community as a whole. Um, he thought it was so great that our kids were going to be able to go to Iowa and be a part of studies. And so he was such mm-hmm. a huge advocate. I, I, you know, it's so funny. And as I'm getting close, I said, I went, oh, of course he would have wanted his his brain donated for science. He would have wanted that. Um, and now I'm sitting here trying to, you know, now you're in you're in the heat of it. So um, yeah. I think that. For me, the, knowing that I could do this right now, opposed to when he passes away, is so much better. Because once he passes away, I'm going to have so much yeah. with my children and myself going on. Um, yeah. And no, and it's also. Yeah. Yeah. No, and it's also. I mean, time is a factor, so we don't mm-hmm. have. You know, we don't. The, the the less the time between the patient's death and the time we're able to to get the brain, the the more useful it is. The more the more things can be done with it from the research point of view. So it, it, it's mm-hmm. also better to be making the arrangements ahead of time because, in addition mm-hmm. to all the you know the having everything happening all at once, if we have everything set up ahead of time, we can make this process very seamless for families. So what we try to do is. If it's a donation from out of our area, we will have a local pathologist set up either either in the at the funeral home or in the local hospital. We will already have spoken mm-hmm. to the funeral home um and basically what we what will what we try to do is have it so that when the the loved one passes, the funeral home already knows who to call what to do they that's all taken care of it happens automatically. And uh, the the patient's the person's family doesn't have to actually think about anything. They can focus on 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 coping with with the loss. They can focus on the mm-hmm. things that they really need to focus on at that moment, knowing that this is all happening. This is all going to happen automatically, and that's sort of mm-hmm. the ideal thing we aim for. And 
I mean, you mentioned funeral directors. That's you know, we we have very we've had very good relations with uh, funeral directors, and um, they are they've been extremely helpful to us in making these donations happen. Um, in terms of um, being able to to arrange for transport, being able to make their facilities available to to a local pathologist when we need that. And you know we really couldn't do this without them. They're they're critical both in helping families deal with the loss, in making appropriate re- arrangements, and also in helping us um, uh, honor the wishes of, of families and patients to donate. And that's something yeah. that we we really appreciate from them. And we've never had a yeah. funeral home say no, we can't do that, or no, you know we won't help. The the only thing we you know I've I've had funeral directors actually reach out to us and say, so listen, what exactly do you need from us? So it's, it's, they're a big partner in making this process seamless and painless for families or as painless as we can make it. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's so, that's so comforting to know because we have so much on our plates and um, with HD in general, and then with also losing our loved ones. So to know that that's, you know, I think that sometimes we're overwhelmed. We've been overwhelmed for years of caring for our loved yeah. one and being our loved one's advocates yeah. and taking, you know, doing everything. I think that we sometimes of life we're, we're overwhelmed and we're tired and to think about what's going to come is just, it's too hard to even think about adding another thing. So to yeah. think about doing it early and it's really not another thing, right? The funeral home will take care of it. The pathologist will yeah. take care of it. Exactly. We don't have to, as families, we do that prior, and then we get to take care of our family and do what we're, you know, it's not something yeah. that's going to burden a family. Right. Yeah. And it should be, Absolutely. I mean, should mention that the the process, if someone contacts me and said that, says that they're interested in this, the the process itself is, so we make, usually I or, or my, uh, my uh, technician here makes the, uh, reaches out to the local pathologist, the funeral home, et cetera, makes those arrangements. The things that need to be done by the family is essentially limited to a consent, and either mm-hmm. I or one of my colleagues will uh, will can call the family member. We go through the consent. If they prefer to do it by email, we can or by mail, we can do that too. And if there's a local mm-hmm. hospital involved, there's sometimes a second consent for that local hospital. But that's it. Once those consents are signed, we keep them on file essentially indefinitely, and there's nothing else that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. The actual steps that need to be taken by family is limited to that. That's it. Yeah, that's important. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad we got I didn't realize that, that was, it was just one consent, so I'm glad we talked about that. And then possible a second if it's a hospital. Um, right, exactly. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So... Um, can we get – I'm actually going to put this on our show page as well so everyone has your contact information. Um, mm-hmm. But one more time, can you give us all your information for families to be able to get a hold of, of you? Uh, sure, yeah. So I, um, the, uh, the easiest way to get, get a hold of me is by email. Mm-hmm. So my email is uh, just marco-hefty, so my first name, dash last name, at uiowa.edu. And okay. again, that's easy. That's easy to find by googling. I'm the only Marco Hefty at uh, the University of Iowa. The only other one I know of lives in Belgium, so it's <laughs> not not easy to mix up. And the the sure. website for the Brain Bank, which has all my contact information, is uh, Iowa Brain Bank, all one word. Dot lab. Dot uiowa. Dot edu. And okay. the uh, all the contact information is there also. 
And my office number here is 319-335-8427. Perfect. Thank you so much, Dr. Hefty. And sure. do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up the show? Um, we just that it's, it's uh, mm-hmm. um, no, you asked some very, very helpful questions, and um, this has been great. I mean, I guess the only other thing I would say is that the the, the efforts, the research effort in Huntington's disease is, is critically dependent on on families, both for mm-hmm. uh, for tissue donation, for involvement in clinical studies like Dr. Napolis's, and it mm-hmm. it also as a way to it's also what inspires us to do the work we do. So I, I found it yeah. when I came to the Help for HD conference in Des Moines, it was very it was very uh, very inspiring to see all these all these people. Um, who, who are family, who are either have HD or families of patients with HD, and their their strength and how they deal with these horrible this horrible disease, and mm-hmm. the hope that at some point this will no longer be be a thing, however long yeah. that takes. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And we are so thankful you came. Um, and I, I am I'm thankful that there is a, a brain bank that has uh, for HD in Iowa. I, you know, this is important. I. We fight at Health for HD to be the last generation to live with HD. We say that all the time. You know, I know so many families that are fighting so hard, and this is another another way we can we can fight and another thing we can be involved in. I know it's not always the best. You know, this is a personal decision, just like being involved in a research, clinical trial, or study. This is a family's personal decision, but I am glad the option is there for our families if that is what our family members wishes and our family chooses to do. So. Thank you for all the work you guys are doing at the University of Iowa for Huntington's disease. We appreciate it. Um, oh, thank you. So very thank much. Thank you for having me on the yes. show. Yes, thank you, Dr. Hefty. Um, I will make sure that all of this stuff is on our show page all the way, um, all the information to get a hold of. Um, uh, Dr. Hefty uh, is available to everyone. Um, I think we could wrap up the show for now. Next week is Thanksgiving. Everyone have a happy Thanksgiving in the U.S. And um, if you... Uh, we just finished our pushing out our relief. So um, you guys should be getting that this week for families uh, that we helped uh, with Thanksgiving uh, dinner, the holiday dinner program. Um, next week, we're going to have a show on what we are thankful for, which is kind of different than what we've done in the past. So we will see. It'll be, it'll be a fun show, I think. Um, uh, as far as everyone in Northern California, if you're affected by the fire, know that our relief fund is always here. If you need any help at all, reach out to me at any time, Katie, K-A-T-I-E, at helpforhd.org. And let me know um, if we can do anything for you. If you're an HD family and you are affected by any of these disasters, we are here to help. Um, until next week, everyone have a safe week, and we will talk to you 1 o'clock Wednesday. Bye.